Sam, we are back. It's been way too long. I'm sure our audience is thinking the same thing right now. We've had busyness. We've had technical difficulties that were really frustrating the last time we tried to record this. But we are back. And ultimately, I think it works out because, you know, it's Christmas in July. We're reading Luke chapter 2 today. And we get to share the joys of Christmas with everyone else in the in the hottest time of this Texas summer year. Man, I would I would go for a crisp December day as I'm sitting in my apartment with it being 100 degrees, not inside, but still. Uh, uh, I could go for that right now. Although there have been December 25ths in my life where I went out and wore shorts because it was still warm. But that's Texas for you. We don't get cold until February. And sometimes in February, we get really cold. <laughs> dude, that Valentine's Day, I'll never forget, dude. Oh, Whew. As you said, Taz, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading the first 21 verses, if you want to read along with us. Uh, as always, we have a Just the Whatever podcast. So uh, we also have a Just the Book of Luke podcast. I believe it's the first half of the book, right, Taz? It, more, more like the first third, like the first more. 10 or 11 chapters. So if you want to give that a listen, um, you know, it's just straight reading of the word. That's great. Uh, if not, you want to read along with us. We're going to be in the Christian Standard Bible as per usual. That is our normal translation. Hashtag CSB, please sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. And uh, let me uh, let me pick up with the first 10 or so verses. So. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This was the first registration that took place while Quinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of the line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And the same reason, shepherds were laying in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they felt a great fear. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Don't be afraid. I proclaim to you good news and great joy that will be for the whole nation. Today in the city of David was born to you, who is Messiah the Lord. This will be the sign for you that you find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there were a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, 
the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right, Taz, I know it's been a minute, but don't worry. It's the same three questions. So we're going to start where we always start, and that is, what does this passage tell us about God? One of the things that stands out to me in this passage is Luke um, 2, verses 9 and 10, where it says, The angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And we talk about this all the time, and it's a almost a trope within sermons and even popular culture that angels must be really scary whenever you're near them. And another thing that we see here is, though, is that not just the angels there, but the glory of God is all around them. And the fact that it terrifies people so much to be in the presence of the glory of God means that it's it's a dangerous thing, right? It's something that is not safe to be around. But we also know about God that he has good intentions. The thing that the angel is bringing is good news of great joy for all the people. And so throughout the entire history of humanity and throughout the story that we see in the Old Testament leading up to this point, we see a dangerously good God who has good intentions and a desire to dwell with his people. He wants to dwell with Abraham, and so he makes a covenant with him. He wants to dwell with Israel, and so he meets with them at Sinai, guides them guides them through the wilderness, and then joins them as they form that new nation. He's with David. He's with the rest of the kings that honor him. He's with the people in exile. And when they come back uh, with Ezra and Nehemiah, um, and now the full fruition of God's desire to dwell with his people comes into being in the form of of a baby who is said to have both the nature of a human, but also the nature of God himself. And so what we learn about in this passage is that God, yes, it is dangerous to be in the presence of someone that is so good and so holy when we ourselves are not good and are not holy, but his good intentions towards us mean that he will cross that barrier in order to be able to dwell with us. And that's something that's really encouraging. One of the things that I see about this is is the providence of God. You know, you think of, like, man, how inconvenient is it? Like, think you're poor Mary. First off, you're a teenager. Second off, you're pregnant and you're not married technically. And there's that whole stigma in the society. And um, and we reveal in, in Matthew's account that there was actually, you know, plan for Joseph to divorce her. Um, because the way betrothal worked is it was kind of like they were married, but not married. It's really interesting. Uh, we can go into that later, but like, there's this whole thing and it's just like awkward. And then now you're having a baby and then it's like, Oh, by the way, guess what? You've got to travel, um, you know, in first century, not an insignificant amount of, of distance, you know, it's, it's pretty far, uh, to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 
and you're pregnant and not like a lot of, a little pregnant, like a lot of pregnant, you know? And so you think of like, how inconvenient is that if you're Mary um, and you're like, God, why, why would you allow this to happen? And you see that, that God is working through Caesar Augustus because there's no reason for a pagan king to call a census at this point in time, a no particular reason other than he wants to. But God utilizes what you know we may see as an inconvenient timing, and God utilizes the, the work of a pagan king in order to fulfill prophecy. Uh, you know, we see that uh, Matthew's account discusses uh, that he would be a Nazarene, right? So he was going to be from Nazareth, but it also said that he would be coming from Bethlehem. So how, how can both those things be true? Well, this is, this is how both of them were true. And so we see the providence of God in using a pagan king to fulfill prophecy. And we just may not understand that in our timing, that, that his timing is not our timing and his ways are not our ways. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. That's a really good point, Sam. To the listener, if you are listening along, I was I would hope that this is kind of implicit in the way that this podcast is structured, but I hope that you have an answer in your mind as well and are thinking about, you know, what does this passage say about God? And if your answer is different than either of ours, we would love to hear about it. Um, you can either send us an email or connect with us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. We are at Front Report on most social media except TikTok, where we are at Front Porch Report. And the email address is thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. So now we can move on to our second question, which is, what does this passage say about people? What's interesting to me is we hear the angels saying that... I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And so what's really interesting is uh, why, why is the Messiah born for us? Why do we need a Messiah? And, and the Lord in this context, at least the Greek word that's used there, um, is, is pretty heavily indicated. Uh, it's not the same word that you see the Hebrew tetragrammaton, but it, it is uh, pretty heavily insinuated that, you know, this is stating that, that this is equivalent to uh, how we in English would say Yahweh, right? Um, so hold up that you just said that this is the Messiah, the Lord. So you're putting, that's, that's the, the divinity of Christ, like plain in scripture. It's one of the many places you can see it. But why, why is the Messiah born for us? And why do we need a Messiah or a, a quote-unquote a savior? Um, bad translation in English, but I'll allow it here uh, in the first place. And, and the fact is, is, what this tells me is that we need a Messiah, right? That if, if he was born for us as a savior then that means we need a savior in the first place. Uh, and I think that's just really interesting that we don't stop and think all too often as we go through the mature years of our Christian lives, we don't stop and reflect the need for a savior very often. Uh, I do think that, you know, in order to come to the faith that you have to have that moment and stop and, and reflect but as you get mature, do you, do you constantly think of your need for the Savior? And it's a challenge I would say to anyone listening. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't 
quote unquote, save you once and then get done. It's, it is a sanctifying process every single day. Uh, so I think that's, that's really interesting. I am struck by verses 17, 18, and 20, which read, After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then verse 20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. And in this passage, when first confronted with a host of angels the shepherds are terrified we've mentioned that before that angels are terrifying and i just think it's so fascinating that the good news that the angels bring has an effect on them right you know whenever someone has a real encounter with the glory of god with the word of god with the message of god it changes something about them and in the case of these shepherds, it allowed them to operate with boldness where there had once been fear. And I don't believe that that is the kind of transformation that is limited to these shepherds in this particular story. You know, say what you will about what kinds of miracles can still exist in a post-New Testament world. But that is a miracle right there because those shepherds ran into town. These you know, we're talking about outcasts here. That's what shepherds are. And there's like, they're, they're dirty, low class jobs. They hang out outside the city. They sleep with their flocks. They're not getting invited to any social gatherings. But these people ran into town because they were so excited about the message that they had to bring. And God used their message to spread it around to other people that they talked to. It says that all who heard it were amazed. And maybe they were amazed in a way that didn't lead to belief, or maybe they were amazed in a way that did lead to belief. But either way, God came into contact with these shepherds, changed something fundamentally about them, and in their changed states, the first thing that they could think of doing was sharing about that change to other people. And I believe that that is the kind of transformation that can still happen in every heart that truly comes to know God and his love for us. So Taz, as we talk about what does this say about God and what does this say about people, our next question is, is how does this point to the gospel? Um, and I feel like because this is Christmas, that's fairly easy. So I'll just throw you the softball real quick and let you hit it out of the park. Nah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit more in depth, I think. So one of the things that I think is cool about this passage is that Little baby Jesus, um, towards the end, gets taken to be dedicated to the Lord. And it says, as scripture requires, right? Um, and I want to turn us back to Exodus chapter 13, verses 14 through 16, where we see that requirement come into play. Um, it says, in the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of humans and the firstborn of livestock. That is why I sacrificed to the Lord all the firstborn of the womb that are males, but I redeem all the firstborn of my sons. So let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead, for the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. You see, everyone knows the story of the Exodus where... 
um, God brought those 10 plagues on the Egyptians that allowed the Israelites to go free. But a little bit more subtle, lesser known fact about the very last plague, the killing of the firstborn, was that God actually demanded every firstborn of the people that were living in Egypt and the animals too. So that includes Egyptian households, but it also includes Israelite households. But God provided a means for redemption, for covering that would allow for some of those sons to be spared. And that is very famously a lamb being killed and then the blood of the lamb being painted over the doorpost of the house where those children were to be saved. And the crazy thing about that is that it's not just God making a division between I'm saving Israelites and I am killing Egyptians. Like Anyone who painted their house with the blood of the lamb, who had faith in God's redemption and in his wrath, because it requires you to both believe that the wrath is coming, but also that there is redemption from it, could live under that redemption. And the fact of that continued throughout Israel's history. And that's why it says... I sacrifice the firstborn of livestock and I redeem the firstborn of my sons. There was actually a temple tax that is paid by um, and a sacrifice that is made for every firstborn son. And so Mary and Joseph take some turtle doves and pigeons to the temple to sacrifice them to redeem Jesus because he is their firstborn son. But Jesus himself ends up being that lamb that is sacrificed for all of us. And so he wades into and he experiences this sacrificial system that's been in place for over a thousand years at this point, but he is the culmination and fulfillment of it. He is what the Passover lamb was pointing to, and he is what those pigeons and turtle doves that his parents sacrificed were pointing to, because we all deserve to die, just like everyone in Egypt deserved to die at that time. But he uses his blood as a covering for all of us so that we may be redeemed and not face the death that we deserve. And I really like that, Taz. And one of the interesting things that I can see about that parallel is if you're reading the Exodus account in Exodus 12, 46, it discusses that none of the bones of the none of the bones of the Passover lamb could be broken. That was one of the requirements. Um, and in Matthew's account of the death of Jesus, he discusses that as in accordance with the scriptures, none of his bones were broken. This is the only reference. These two are the only references to breaking of bones realistically in scripture. So Matthew has to be discussing this passage right here in Exodus that, that you just referenced. Um, and so that, that's further proof. I know that's digging into Matthew and that's digging into the death and we're at Christmas and in Luke, not Easter and Matthew, but man, I get excited about this stuff, but that's further proof that, that Jesus is that lamb that we were given. Uh, and I just think that's, that's amazing. I'm going to take the cop out answer. The gospel is the good news. Um, and the angel says, I, I bring you good news to, to all people of all nations, right? Abraham back. Uh, or Avram uh, was was told by Yahweh that uh, he would be a blessing to all nations, not just some. Uh, and here we see the fulfillment of that through Jesus. Uh, I think that's just amazing. 
So yeah, uh, that is that is an awesome opportunity uh, for us to just reflect uh, on the birth of our Savior, even though it's a hundred degrees in uh, in Texas right now. We can we can sweat it out. Taz, do you have any lingering thoughts, feelings, questions about the text? You kind of pointed this out earlier, but I think that it's cool how many titles Luke just piles on Jesus in verse eleven. He's like, in the city of David, he's born for you. He's Messiah, he's Savior, and Lord. And I think it's cool that you've got all all three of those just piled into the same sentence there. And it shows that Luke is being intentional about building up for Jesus this really impressive resume um, before he's even done anything, which I, th- I think is cool. Yeah, for me... Um... Not to be that guy, but I've gotta, I've gotta like, I gotta do it, so I'm gonna do it. Uh, Jesus wasn't born in December. Uh, I'm just gonna throw that. Okay, I'll, I won't say that. Jesus probably wasn't born in December. I'll go that far. So for the geography nerds in the room, the latitude of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is about equivalent to North Texas, a little bit south of DFW area, north of Waco, if I remember correctly, um, in between there. Or for the people who might be listening on the East Coast, it's about equivalent to Savannah. And I don't know if you've been in either of those places in uh, winter, but um, or in December, I should say, but it's winter in the Northern Hemisphere at that point. Uh, and in the first century, you're not calling a census in the middle of winter you're just not you're like people aren't happy about that you like you're already pissing people off that they're having to move around and be counted in this and that like you're not calling the census in the middle of winter i'm sorry it's just not realistic Uh, i don't know actually i do know how uh we got here uh there was a pagan tradition um that the Catholic church kind of took over uh, called Saturnalia. Um, We won't go there, but anyway, that being said, um, I do think it is appropriate annually to take time and reflect on the birth of Jesus. That being said, I think it's academically honest of us to acknowledge that Jesus probably wasn't born in December, but that's okay. We're still allowed to have a Christmas tree. In fact, Taz and I did a whole episode where we debated whether Santa is okay for Christians to talk about. Uh, and if you'd like to listen to that, I think that was all the way back in season one. Going to be honest, if you listen to our old stuff, it probably sounds a little cringier than our new stuff. We weren't as polished as we are now. Um, and I'll probably say that again in two years. So forgive us. It's okay. It takes time. But yeah, um, Taz, any other things that you got? So I think it's interesting that... Just like this, the logistics of a census like this must have been ridiculous because like they straight up moved to Bethlehem, right? In in Matthew's gospel, we get the story of the wise men coming and we assume that Jesus has, you know, he's like a toddler at that point. You know, it's just, it's not the same day as he was born for sure, unlike our nativity scene show. But it's, Don't get me you know, started. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that suggests that, like, between Jesus being born and the wise men coming, they'd made this trip to Jerusalem, right? And so it's just like, okay, so they went from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which is actually a pretty short trip. It's only a couple of miles away. And then back down to Bethlehem, and they just, like, stuck around for a while until Herod got all antsy and started 
Merkin people, but. Um... <laughs> and then they went to Egypt for a bit. Yep. Yeah, they were a well-traveled little crew for a time period when a good portion of the world probably never, you know, went beyond five miles from where they were born. Mm. And then, of course, the heartbeat of any Bible study is, okay, this is what the text says. What are you going to do about it? So based on what we have learned, discovered, rediscovered today, what is an application point that you can take away from this, Sam? So I think one of the biggest application points uh, that we can see here is, is from the lowly shepherds. Because it says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And the, and the Greek there um, is, is uh, the CSB is, is a little bit more generous when it says, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Uh, the Greek would kind of more indicate, let's pass on to Bethlehem or let us, let us go to Bethlehem. Uh, the word straight there is, is kind of added in the English, but the sentiment is there, which is, man, when the angels left, they went. And it wasn't this waiting around, like they heard the gospel, the good news was coming, that the Messiah was born, and they just went. And Robbie Gallaty always says that the gospel came to me on its way to somebody else. Uh, and I think that's very profound. And so... Man, when we receive the gospel, when we receive the good news, do we go? Are we like the woman at the well in John chapter 4 who says, Behold, here's the man who's told me everything I've done wrong. Do we immediately go? And so the application point is, um, are we sharing the gospel? Are we going? You know, that is, that that's, I mean, they they went. And I, they went to Jesus immediately. But, I, I mean, I can't imagine being confronted with that kind of news and just sitting there. Um, and so uh, I know that's a, a kind of a bit of a stretch, but I think it's important that we, that we recognize that, that this is a message that when we receive, we go. It's not something that you kind of just hold in. You kind of stole mine, so I'm going to shift it a little bit down to verse 19 where it says, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And a ancient Near Eastern understanding of meditation is not like an ancient Far Eastern understanding of meditation. Like when we think of meditation, it's, you know, we're like, okay, empty your mind and let the universe flow through you. But for them, meditating is more like, repeatedly thinking about what is true right you can meditate on the word by reading it out loud over and over again over the course of your life and so mary has experienced more amazing things in the span of a few months here than probably most of us have have ever or ever will get to see and even so we see time and time again in the Bible where people experience amazing things and then eventually it, it's like it didn't even happen and they are once again in a place of little faith, little trust, little action. Um, but Mary's not going to let that happen to her. She's going to take these experiences, treasure them in her heart, and she's going to meditate on and remember them. And while we might not have 
angels visiting us in visible and verbal form to tell us amazing deeds and good news. But what we do have is the Bible that shows us the good news, that shows us who God is and what we as people mean to him. And then we also have our experiences that come from our experiences that result from that knowledge, ways that God has worked in our life through prayers that have been answered or opportunities to share that pan out and have fruition through the fruit of the spirit that is developed in us um, through sanctification. And in our fast-paced culture, it is so easy to just keep on rolling through and forget everything that's happened before. But it's important to meditate on what God has done, both to other people and for us. And I think that we can follow Mary's example there. So, dear Tasman. Samuel. As it is 100 degrees in Texas right now, and we've experienced record heat all around the globe recently. I have a literal hot, hot take. Let's hear it, Sam. How should we, as Texans, proceed forward with the mess that is our power grid? And was privatization of that power grid really a good thing in retrospect? Ooh, this is going to be a real hot take because I am not educated enough to give a give a good answer. Obviously, something is not working because we have brownouts in the summer and whiteouts in the winter. For two years in a row, we had power outages due to winter storms. And to be fair, those were worse winter storms than have been around since I've been alive, for sure. But... You know, either something's wrong with the amount of power that we're producing or something's wrong with our ability to store that power or something's wrong with allocation. And I think it's probably true that there's, you know, problems with all all three of those. As for what we do in the future, we're going to rely really heavily on technological innovation for sure. We're probably going to continue to be reliant on natural gas and oil and fossil fuels for for the time being. Um, And we're going to be trying to utilize renewable sources as well. I don't have a solution, I'm afraid. I'm sorry for all those ERCOT employees who are avid listeners. I I can't do your job for you. But it's humbling for sure to know that even in this modern time, we do not have as much control over the environment as as we would like, and we can't just create a comfortable world that is without... We, we are still beholden to God's creation, even as we're trying to create our little indoor Edens in, in the hot Texas summers or the cold Texas Februaries. Oh, dude, if I needed further proof that global warming is real, it's like... England, the hottest 10 years on record were all in the past 20 years. Me, that's not good. Maybe we should, I don't know, invest in some air conditioning. That'd be nice. All right, everyone. Thank you all for joining us this week. 
we are going to try to be more consistent moving forward because we are going to get through this extra long, extra juicy gospel of Luke. If you have any feedback at all, you can leave a rating, ideally positive ratings to help boost the flow and all that stuff. Like I said before, you can um, chat with us on social media or send us an email and stay safe out there. Stay cool. We'll see you next time. Suffer. Suffer, you Samuel. All right. Luke chapter do, right? Luke do. <laughs> My wife will probably... If my wife listens to this, she will probably murder me for my French pronunciation. But that's okay. Are you sure you're in? Are you sure you're in CSB? I'm in ESV, bro. I'm in ESV. Man, no wonder they won't sponsor us. <laughs> it's uh, it's not a giant sword. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a cubit length. Don't get me wrong, but uh... you sent you sent your fish flop holster yeah i thought that was hilarious man your glub glub glock glug glug glock i was making jokes of creighton that that that's a good one dang it i should have thought of that